0: We start out this series, and I'm gonna hurry, guys, uh, I promise you. Uh, and if you're new here and still here, good job, man. Way to go. Thank you for sticking around. Uh, hey, uh, we started this series called Better at the First of the Year because I believe there's not a person in this room or watching online that does not have at least one area you want to be better in 2024. Whether it's your finances, whether it's your health, whether it's relationships, a marriage, a job, a career, any of that, you you fill in the blank. And through this series, we've we've talked about, we kicked it off talking about the importance of prayer and fasting. And you want it better, that's where it starts, prayer and fasting. We talked about uh, 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 loving, loving people the way God loves you or loving people that are hard to love. You ever had to do that? I was out. The day after I preached this message, God challenged me. Because I, I mean, you want to know one of my, part of my biggest pet peeve is ungratefulness in someone. When you do for someone, I mean, and this this even extends to if I let you on the lane. You know, I'm driving and you're trying to squeeze in and i let you in. I at least want to. Hey, thank you. That's gratitude. But it's just one of those things. And the day after the snow had hit, nobody was getting out, able to get out. So we got word that a couple was needing some food, some help. And so Denise and I got out in the snow. We drove over to Athens, met them in Athens, $100 worth of groceries, filled their car up with gas. Not a thank you one. And man, I was. I love people. Oh, Casey okay, forgot to put my. Oh, get over here. Where's my Where's my little box? I need. Wait, is it in here? Oh, right here it is. Everybody get one of these when I come in. I'm I, I'm I'm gonna bring this all back in. But we, anyway, we talked about loving people, and God will challenge you. Amen. And then we talked about uh, learning to be still, Selah, relax, sink into the presence of God. Talked about forgiving, letting go of some bitterness, some pettiness. Come on. Why? Because he forgave us quickly and completely. So let's dive in in today's message. Show of hands, please participate. How many would say, whether they're spoken or written down, you've set some goals for yourself or your family for 2024? Yeah. Listen, there's nothing. I'm not going to say I've got you. No, we all should have goals. Uh, I've got some goals. Uh, Our pastors, I I told our pastors at the first of the year, I want you to email me your three-month goals, what you'd like to see happening in your ministry by the end of March. And then I want to know what are your plans to get there. So there's nothing wrong with, with, with having plans. Uh, we even got uh, uh, or goals. We have got great quotes about goals. Tony Robbins says, Robin says setting goals is the first step in turning the invisible into the visible." You've got uh, this goal. A goal without a plan is just a wish. That was said, Antoine de Saint Exupery. I'm just gonna act like I said it right. <laughs> And then the late, great Pat Summit said this. It's harder to stay on top than it is to make the climb. Continue to seek new goals. Goals are important. I've got goals for myself. By the end of 2024, I want to be at least 30 pounds lighter. I want to be eating healthier. I want to be healthier uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I've got goals for, my, for myself as a pastor. I've got goals for this church, which after Easter, you're going to be hearing a lot more of those goals. And I'm excited about us being able to share some of the things we've been working on uh, to, with a new building, but you'll be hearing about that. But, and I think if we're honest, everyone in this room, we have these lists, whether they're written out or just in our heads, of things we want better. Things we want different in 2024. And we have our list of priorities of what we think will get that done for us. As Christians, a lot of our lists look the same. Let's try this. I didn't do this at 9 a.m., but I feel more liberty here. I'm not on time restrictions, and that scares some of you more than anything. Um, (laughs) Let's do this. Hey, if I would say, hey, what, what are your priorities? Because I, I did this, I, I, gave, I got here earlier, and I was asking some of our people, hey, I'm going to name six things, and you tell me the order of priority that those things are in your life. So somebody tell me, what, what would you think is number one should go right here on that list? Jesus? Okay, what, what, what about second? Family? What about third? Church. I like this person. Whoever said that. <laughs> Fourth. Relationships. Fifth. Here, here's pretty much what, was, pull, pull that next, this is pretty much aligned with everyone I interview. Pull that slide up. Jesus, family, marriage, church, job, career, their health, and relationships. And, and there's some wiggle room on, you know, a couple of those. But I think if you're a follower of Jesus, call yourself a Christian, I think we're going to say, yeah, Jesus should be at the top of that list. Amen. Come on, right? Yes. It's, it's not all trick question. But, but he should be at the top of, the, of, that, of that list. And Jesus should be right there. Can we have a moment of honest and vulnerability and say that he's not always at the top of that list? That Monday after I preached about loving people, I started out that day with him at the top of my list. I pulled away and he had d- jumped down to like third or fourth on that list. Can we be real and honest? And, and God convicted me. Do you love people right where they're at or just when they do what you want them to do and respond how you want them to respond? And But, but that's pretty much what our list looks like. Right? I mean, can, can we agree That's pretty much our priority. Is that that safe to say? Here's the thing, though. For the last several years, this is what our priority list has looked like every year. But every year we close that year out and see the things that we wanted to change didn't change. The things that we wanted better didn't get better. The areas we wanted to be different weren't different. And I don't think the, I don't think the problem is that we, that we don't want to put Jesus first. I think we do. Here's what I think the biggest issue is. We don't really know what that looks like. What does it look like to really put Jesus first? I mean, does that mean I put my family on the back burner and spend more time in prayer reading my Bible while I ignore my, the needs of my family? Is that what it looks like? Do I neglect my job, my career, my schooling uh, so so that I can put Jesus first? Do I stay holed up in my prayer closet, whatever that is? And uh, instead of going out with my friends, what does it look like to put Jesus first in my life? Everybody get their little box. Just hold on to it. You're not going to do anything with it yet, but. Here's why I ask that. Texas businessman Bob Buford, in his book Halftime, he wrote about a meeting that he says changed his life forever. Bob was very successful, and he had reached all his goals that he had set early into his 40s. he, He was the president and CEO of a tremendously successful cable TV company. He had a great marriage. He had a beautiful home. He had lots of toys. He was financially secure, and he was independently wealthy. Bob said that although people all around him talked about how successful he was, he says, I didn't feel satisfied. He said, I didn't feel a sense of fulfillment, and I could not understand why I didn't. Bob said the turning point in his life came when he hired a strategic planning consultant, a guy by the name of Mike Camey. He invited Mike to come and spend a few days with him and his wife, Linda. And he said this, Mike wasn't even a believer. He didn't even believe in God. But Bob hired him to come out and help him draw up a strategic plan for his life. Bob was good at putting together plans for his business, but this was a plan for himself and his life. Bob spent a few days with Kamey laying out his dreams, his desires, a list of his perceived strengths and weaknesses, his profession of faith, projects started and have started, things to do, things to abandon, goals in his business. Then he looked at Kamey and said, so what about it? What should I do? How can I be the most useful? How can I make the rest of my life count? Where should I invest my talents, my time, my treasure? What are the values that give purpose to my life? What is the overarching vision that shapes me, who I am, who, wh- where, where I am? Where, where am I going? How do I get there? Bob Rice said the turning point came when Mike Camey took out a sheet of paper, drew a box on it. And ask him one simple question. What's in the box? Michael looked at Bob and said, Bob, this this box represents your life. It represents you. Imagine a box in which you place your greatest treasure. What is the most important thing in your life? What will be the defining purpose of your life? Bob, what goes in the box? Bob writes that this nonbeliever looks at me, a believing businessman, and says this, I've talked with you long enough to know that it's either money or Jesus. And if you can tell me which one it is, I can tell you the strategic planning implications of that choice. But if you can't tell me, you're going to constantly oscillate between those two values and you will always be confused. Bob said, Mike said, if it's Jesus, we'll draw a cross in that box. If it's money, we'll draw a dollar sign in that box. But what is the driving force of your life? What goes in the box? Bob later says, No one had ever asked me such a significant question so directly. Bob said he sat there for a few minutes stunned by the implications of this decision. He says, I thought out, what if God asked me to sell my business? What if God asked me to give everything I own away? Bob says after a few minutes that felt like hours, he looked back at Kami, took a pen, sketched across in the middle of that box and said, if it has to be one or the other, I put Jesus in that box. Jesus, who he is, what he's done, he's gonna be the driving force in my life. Jesus is in the box. He will be the most important thing in my life. He will be who and what my world revolves around. And listen, when I say Jesus goes in the box, because I know we're going to have some. You can't put Jesus in a box, Pastor. You understand this represents your life. You. You. So I'm going to ask you what's in your box. And here's the thing. I can't answer that question for you. Your spouse can't answer it for you. Your mom and dad can't answer it for you. Parents, your teacher, friend, co-worker, You've got to answer the question, what's in the box? See, so we all want to be able to say Jesus is at the top of the list. He's the most important thing in my life. He's, the pur- he's my purpose. He's who my world w- revolves around. But if we're on- being honest, there are days that he's not at the top of my list. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Jesus is the exact image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, the eternal. It was by him that everything was created, the heavens, the earth, all things within and upon them, all things seen and unseen, thrones and dominions, spiritual powers and authorities. Every detail was crafted through his design by his own hands and for his purposes. He has always been. It is his hand that holds everything together. He is the head of this body, the church. He is the beginning, the first of those to be reborn from the dead and get this so that in every aspect, at every view and in everything he is first. <laughs> the King James reads so that in all things he might have preeminence. That means hold first place. We could reword that and put our own version. Says so that in every aspect, in every view, in everything, Jesus is in the box. He's the center of it all. See, Jesus doesn't want to just be Jesus over certain areas of your life. You understand that, right? So it, it, instead of it shouldn't be Jesus, then my family. Jesus, then my health. Jesus, then my career. What it should look like is Jesus in my marriage. Jesus in my health. Jesus in my relationships, in my job. He is in it all, in everything, every aspect, every area. Jesus. Jesus. You want that certain area of your life to be better. You've got to answer the question. And the quicker you do it, the better. What's in the box? Look at Colossians 117 again. He has always been, and it is his hand that holds it all together. Do we really believe that he holds it all together? We're about to have a big revealer of that when election season comes in. It's going to reveal whether we really believe he holds it all together. Or if we thought who we wanted in office holds it all together. I oh, it got quiet on me. That was good. That means it's making them think or they're ticked off right now. I'll take either one. But we're going to find out there are revealers in their life. When, when I get laid off from that job, do I really believe he holds it all together? When I don't get the report from the doctor I wanted, do I believe then he holds it all together? What do I believe? If you will, turn with me to Genesis 22. That's where we're going to spend the remainder of our time together. And I want to look at a story of a father and son, Abraham and Isaac. And I learned a long time ago, uh, especially, man, we, we've got so many new Christians, new believers. And it's easy and, for me to get up here and assume that everybody grew up like I did knowing all the stories of the Bible. I've learned I don't assume that anymore because there are a lot of people that don't know these stories. And those are my favorite people to tell those stories, too. But this is about a father, and son, Abraham, and Isaac. Abraham, uh, give you a little backstory, and you, you'll probably read, want, want to read this to understand it better than what I'm going to tell it to you. But Abraham and Sarah, man, they wanted a son. They wanted a child. God had prayed for them a son. God had promised them a, a child. They get tired of waiting on God and try to take matters into their own hands. Come on, anybody ever done that? So, so Sarah's like, hey, listen, here's what I, won't you take my much younger servant and go sleep with her? And Abraham's like, nah, if I have to, I'll take one for the team. Uh, So, 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 it reminded me of a joke, but I'm going to move on. so. Uh, So they sleep together. She ends up getting pregnant. And lo and behold, surprise, surprise, Sarah doesn't like her servant Hagar anymore and blames it on her husband. Imagine that. Abraham's like, it wasn't my idea. I didn't want to do it. You made me do it. Let me just go home. But God still honors his word. Sarah gets pregnant in her old age, has a son, Isaac, and what I really want to press before we dive into Scripture is here. Isaac was a promise they had been waiting on for a very long time. They wanted a son. They wanted a child more than anything else. I mean, they were... Desperate to the point, wife, you know you're desperate to give your, there's not a woman, my wife would say, listen, we're not going to have any kids. You're not, I don't, I don't care. What, if God promised it, then he'll do it when I'm 82. But you ain't going to sleep with my much younger servant. But, (laughs) but that just shows how desperate they were. And then God honors it. God honors it, and that's what we're going to dive in today, Genesis 22, starting with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, or he said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain and I will sh- that I will show you. If I'm being honest, this story has always messed with me. Why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice the son that he himself promised him? It says God tested Abraham. The Hebrew word there for tested literally means to prove. And and what's happening here, Abraham is following God, serving God. God says, Abraham, I need to know, am I in every aspect In every area? Am I everything in your life? Is there anything you would not be willing to give up for me? And here's the thing, if you want to know if he is the end in everything in your life, if you're taking notes, the first way is this, you begin to hear and recognize his voice. One of the ways that you can know that you have placed Jesus at the top of that. He is there. He's in the box. Is you begin to hear his voice and recognize it. And, and some of you right now, you're, you're wrestling with that. You're, the thought of hearing his voice and you're wrestling with that. Well, here's the good news. If you're wrestling with it, you got to be close to be able to wrestle. You can't wrestle something far off. So you're in close proximity. Keep wrestling. Keep going there. But you begin to hear, recognize his voice. Abraham, anybody think that this is the word that Abraham wanted to hear from God? Come on. That God, God, I hear you, God. Anybody think that's not what he wanted to hear? And that's where some of you are, I believe. Some of you, you've heard God speak about certain things in your life certain relationships, certain aspects of your life. But God didn't say what you wanted to hear him say. And so you've kind of just brushed it off. It's almost like, God, I, I don't mind doing this, but that. I, I don't mind serving here or there. I don't, mind, I don't mind giving when it's in the budget, but why would you ask me to do this? Parents, be honest. Because, man, the 9 a.m. made me feel like a horrible parent. (laughs) Parents, have you ever told your kids something to do knowing they did not want to do it, but you knew that, so that's pretty much why you told them to do it? Yeah, absolutely. It's like I'm going to break this child one way or the other. Never mind, let's move on. I believe breaking is what you do to a horse, uh, anyway, that's why Jim Jeff can I start thinking Let anyway, let's move on. Abraham hears the voice of God is telling him to do something he really doesn't want to do verse three and five early the next morning. Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Let's stop there before we read the rest of it. Abraham hears the voice of God. He recognizes the voice of God, and it says early the next morning. Notice it doesn't say Abraham took a week to pray about it. Abraham took time to ponder on it. Think about it. Weigh the pros and cons of it. It says, no, he heard, he recognized it was God's voice, and he gets up early the next morning. Can I tell you, as Christians, we use prayer as an excuse more than anything else. Hey, I think you ought to do it. Well, let me me pray about it. You're not going to pray about it. Let's be honest. You don't want to do it, so you don't want to know what God has to say about it. Hey, I think you ought to serve in the nursery. Eh, let me pray about it. I prayed, God said no, and you didn't pray. You didn't pray at all. Hey, I think you ought to serve down at, down at a 412. Uh, I'll pray about it. Can I tell you, there's some things you don't have to pray about it. When God says it in his word, there's no praying. You don't need to pray. God didn't change his mind about things. Are you hearing me, church? But, but we do. We'll use excuse. Let's keep going because I'm, I, I'm trying to hurry. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up, saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. The second thing, if you want to know if he is in the box, he is the end in everything in your life, the second way to know that, you begin to do what he asks. You do what he asks you to do. If he's asked you to go over and invite your neighbor to dinner, do what he asks. But, Kelly, I don't like my neighbor. Do what he asks you do what he asks. If it's serving in WB Kids, you do what he asks. If it is serving in the nursery, you do what he asks. If it's serving as an usher or greeter, you do what he asks. If it's helping out with a meal at CR on Thursday nights, you do what he asks. If it's standing up for what's right, even when it may cost you, you do what he asks. Man, we love to tell God what we want to do. And we're terrible at listening and doing what he tells us to do. Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son. Um, The fire and the wood are here. Where's the lamb? And Abraham... Offers up his best church of God answer. God will provide. Come on. God himself will provide. Anybody think Isaac's starting to get a little suspicious? <laughs> Dad? I see fire. I see wood. Where's the lamb we're gonna kill? Where's your sacrifice? Parents, have you ever had a moment where your kids ask you something you did not know how to answer it? uh, My grandson, Sonny, came up to me a few weeks ago. And we were just talking. We were out doing something. I I was watching the kids. And I think it was just me and him. He says, Papa, you know babies come out of a woman's butt. I said, "Uh, Sonny, I don't believe that's true. It is? Where, well, I said, "Who told you that, Mama?" I said, "Well, then you go talk to Mama about that." <laughs> but you ever had a kid? You you just don't know how to. How do I answer this question? I mean, he's three years old. I don't. I'm not going to go into full detail and scar this kid for life. So Abraham gets a question asked to him. Where is it? God will provide, son. See, the third way you know that He is the end in everything in your life, you begin to say what God tells you to say. I might have said, might just say it like this you begin to respond the way God tells you to respond, is another great way to say that. Uh, this has happened to me during my prayer time. I've been praying about wh- how to respond to a certain situation. Or Denise and I have a counseling session. And I'm, God, tell me what to say. Tell me what to say. And I, we uh, this has happened on more than one occasion. Well, we'll go into that meeting. We'll go into that counseling session. And I begin to say something. and I, I'm thinking to myself, where is this coming from? You are not this smart, Kelly. This is amazing. Write this down. <laughs> and then it gets worse. I look over to Denise and Denise's like, Where's this Kelly at home? (laughs) And I've had people that God has sent and have spoken over me in my life. And here's the thing. This is a great uh, identifier of whether God is the end. You're able to hear and say what he tells you to say. But not only that, you're able to receive it from someone else. I'll go as far to, one, I'm going to tell you one of the most challenging things in my life is when God had something to say to me through somebody I didn't like. And I had to decide whether I wanted to hear God's voice more or keep my enmity with him more. Is that did I use that word right? He's thinking about it. He said, right. I don't know. He just move on. But that, that's where you can tell. Let, let, let's move on. Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. In our minds, we think Isaac is a little boy. Isaac's not a little boy. In fact, most theologians think he was somewhere between 20 to 30 years of age. Get this, the first century Jewish historian Josephus says Isaac was 25 years old. And while no one can uh, definitely identify or or tell what his age was, most say he was between 20 and 30 years old. And I say this, here's why I'm bringing that up, because Abraham was a very old man. So the thought that he could wrestle a 20 to 30-year-old grown man and make him do anything... Isaac, dads, listen to me on this. How much faith did Isaac have to have in his dad? What kind of life did Abraham live before his son that Isaac would say, dad, I don't like this, but if you tell me this is what God said to do, let's do it. Dads, listen, I want to live that kind of life. I want to be that kind of dad where my kids may say, Dad, this sounds crazy, but if you're, I've watched you enough to know that if you believe, if God tells you to do it, I believe it. Dads, it's not just limited to you moms. Live that kind of life. So Isaac was a willing participant. Isaac pretty much had to put himself up on the altar. And Isaac was like, Dad, man, I really don't like this. And this was not where Abraham would say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Because I uh, I said, I don't think so, Dad. I don't think a knife through my heart is going to hurt you more than it is me. But Isaac's like, yeah, let's go, Dad. Let's do it. It's the fourth thing when you're, he's the end. You begin to surround yourself with the right people. People that will motivate you and push you to do the things that you know. I I told my wife the other day, we were talking about, for something, I said, you know what, I said, I want to know my, I I want friends, and I believe I've got them, and that'll that'll fight for me. They'll fight first and ask questions later. Like they see I'm in a scrap, they don't need to know what it's about. They're just going to show up and help. Now, later they may say, what was that about? And I'll tell them, I fought for that. (laughs) But I want those kind of friends. I want the kind of friends that will show up and also say, hey, Kelly, this is not worth it. Come on. But I also need those friends that are willing to get dirty and go toe-to-toe with whatever I'm fighting against. We need people, the right people in our life that'll speak truth to us, that'll speak love to us, that'll kick our butts at one time and then help us kick others at another time. We need those people in our life. Maybe this is the year. Listen, man, this is for some. I feel it stronger now than I did nine. Some of you need to set boundaries for some people in your life. If they are not pushing you toward Christ if they are not motivating you to grow in Christ, you may want to reconfigure that relationship. If every time you're around them, you leave that feeling like the energy and life has been sucked out of you, come on. Maybe you need to cut that those relationships loose and get you some better people in your life that will fight for you, not talk about you, that they will talk to you and not about you. Maybe the best thing. Some of you need to delete some people off your Facebook and social media feeds. That'll drain. Listen, I've done it. Some of y'all are wondering right now. I've not. Listen, I don't. I don't delete them because then it, you get notified. I just block your content. Why? Well, because you're life suckers. Not everybody. Not everybody. And with some of y'all are wondering, am I a life sucker? Maybe, Uh, but let's go on. (laughs) But I, now you know, I block my brother. Not Chris or Casey. (laughs) Especially, especially at election time. Because it's draining. It's draining. (laughs) Casey's like, wait till our next brother's breakfast. I'm going to tell him. (laughs) And like, I'm going to send Stephen a text. You got to watch this message today. Brother. <laughs> but you need people in your life. Abraham hears the voice of God. And it's not an easy decision for him to make. But Isaac says, okay, verse 10. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The fifth thing, don't bring it up yet. You want to know where he's at in your life. If he is the in, the big I-N in every aspect, every area, everything in your life, this is it. You are willing to give up everything for him. Go ahead, yeah. You're willing to give up everything. There's nothing you will withhold from him. That, that, look at verse 12. God said, hey, do not do anything to him. Why? Now I know that you fear God. Why? Because you not withheld the very thing you love most from me. You didn't withhold your dreams from me. Is there anything you're holding on to? If I can get Baba and the team to come up. Is there anything you're not willing to give up to God? See, this is where a lot of people get tripped up. We're willing to give God certain things in our life. This happened with a rich young ruler in the Bible. A little story there. he comes to Jesus, hey, good teacher, man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Then he goes on to tell Jesus, listen, I've kept the Ten Commandments. I've done all that ever since I was born. But but here's the thing. He had done what he thought was all the right things, but he said, but still something is missing. And some of you, you think you're you're doing everything you know to do, but still something is missing. So Jesus says this. He says, "Give give all your possessions away. Why did did Jesus tell him to give his possessions away? Because Jesus knew that's what's in the box. And look at verse 22 of Matthew 19. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had a lot of stuff, because he had some things he wasn't willing to part with. He went away sad because there were some things in his life he just wasn't willing to let go of. What's in the box? So I think we all—we've all got Jesus is somewhere in a box. Sometimes it's hard to find him because we've got everything else in there. What's in your box? Well, what, what is it? What is the one thing that you're, you've not? Completely surrender to God. You keep holding on to. See, I I told this story, and Denise and I just got back from Curacao. And we did this tour in in a mango plantation. And before you got to the actual mango farm where you walked in, we'd walk through this beautiful area. They call it the Freedom Gate. And, And it wasn't open wide. It was just partially opened. And our guide, because we, we had a guide by ourselves because we only speak English, no other language. And there was tons of people there, and they were saying, and me and Denise had no clue what they were saying. And they saw the confused look on their face and said they need an English-speaking guide. And so we had our own guide, and we walked through this. When we get to this, she says, this is the freedom gate. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to Tony stand in front of him. Now I want you to massage your shoulders. Now, anything that is not serving you well in life, anything that is not pushing you, anything that is weighing you down, we're going to shake it off before we walk through this gate. And see, the gate wasn't big enough for me to take a lot of junk through. It was just open enough where I could get through. And I feel like some of you, you want freedom. You want things to be better. And you're trying to get through that gate, but you're not willing to let go of these things that are not serving you well at all. What are you not willing to let go of? What are you holding on to? Accomplishments? because you some accomplishments, some things you've done? Are you like the rich young ruler? you got money you're holding on to, and it goes before everything else? Oh, man. Maybe you like to judge people because it's easier for you to see their sin than it is to see your own sin. And it makes you feel better about yours because you're so focused on theirs. Maybe it's hobbies, sports, golf, shopping. It's some things that you do in your life. Maybe it's, oh, way you measure yourself against other people. Every time you come into a group, you pull out this measuring tape. How do I stack up against them? How do I measure against them? But maybe it's work. And you're so consumed with work and trying to give Honestly, you you think you're being noble and trying to give your family things that you didn't have, but now it's so consumed you that Jesus is not the end in everything you do. Oh, man. Maybe it's sexual identity. And you grab hold of this because at least this gives you some kind of identity. The problem is, you're going by what they're and by who they're telling you are, not who God tells you you are. Maybe it's memories. Somebody done you wrong. Somebody said something to you. Somebody crossed you. And years can go by, that every once in a while, you want to plug this into your mind and begin to relive it all over again because you will not let it go. maybe it's how you see yourself and you keep trying to see yourself as pretty as accepted as wanted but you can't see yourself that way Maybe you're not willing to give this of your opinion. So you post about your opinion. doesn't matter who you hurt. doesn't matter what your opinion about what's going on in the world, your opinion about that person, your opinion about yourself, your opinions about God. Mm. Lastly, okay, Cuppie. Maybe it's bitterness. See the thing about coffee? Coffee by itself is bitter. It's got a bitter taste to it. My wife will dress her coffee up to make it taste sweet. And that's what some of you have done with bitterness. You've dressed it up. You've made it look different so that you can keep drinking it not knowing that's killing you in the process. But you refuse to let go of that bitterness because you think it's doing something to the other person. You're the one drinking it, not them. So what's in your box, church? What's in it? I said this earlier. I, I can't answer that question for you. Mom and dad can't, kids can't, teacher can't, government can't, only you can answer what's in the box. Why? Because you have control of what goes in the box. Stand with me across the street. See, so if you open this box up, of course, nothing's in there. And when we're born, this is it. We start accumulating things. But today's your day. What do you put in the box? What goes in the box? Courage to be vulnerable. Give us courage to be honest with you and with ourselves. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, if I'm being honest and real, there are some things I'm holding on to, things I've not been willing to let go. things that I've just, I'm holding on to. But today I wanted to stop because I'm tired of walking away from here sad. I'm tired of being so close to Jesus yet refusing to let go of this thing or these things in my life so that he can be everything. I believe there's somebody here today you don't know him at all. And he is inviting you to be in a relationship with him. You've tried it your way for so long, and it has failed you miserably. It has not served you at all. Your way hasn't. And Jesus said, hey, come here. Let me love the life back into you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know him personally. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want that to change today. If that's you, raise your hand. I will not embarrass you, I promise you. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Keep keep those hands raised for me.